So, uh, welcome back to the Michigan Ross Executive Perspectives podcast Middle East series. This is Jay Sraj, Head of Operations for Michigan Ross Executive Education in the Middle East and Africa region. Uh, we're celebrating International Women's Day. This celebration aims to help uh, nationwide eliminate discrimination against women and really focus on helping women gain full and equal participation in global development. And here the emphasis is really on full and equal because the two go hand in hand. Uh, there are places where we see participation, but it's not at equal footing. And there are places where we don't see participation just to fill uh, certain gaps. So the UN Women announced the theme for the International Women's Day on March the 8th this year as women in leadership achieving an equal future in a COVID-19 world. I think uh, we already had in the first the session of our podcast series, an in-depth discussion on the impact of COVID across uh, multiple uh, elements, whether it's social or personal or at the business side. So this is, would be a great compliment for us to continue that discussion, to, to, to discuss the celebration of the tremendous efforts by women around the world that have shaped a more equal future and recovery for COVID-19 pandemic. So uh, with that, let me introduce uh, our guest with us. We have uh, Melody Weaver Barnett. She's the Chief, exact, Chief uh, Executive Education Officer at the Michigan Ross School of Business Executive Education. Uh, Cindy Cipani, uh, she's a Merwin Waterman Collegiate Professor of Business Administration and Professor of Business Law at Ross. Uh, we also have with us uh, this time two rising stars in the corporate world in the Middle East and North Africa region. And they are also the winners of the Michigan Ross Scholarship, Rita Majdi. Uh, she's the Communication and PR Director at Stellantis, which is the merger of Group PSA and FCA Group, uh, two very large automotive uh, group companies. And we also have Heba Sayed. Uh, she's the strategy leader at IBM Cloud and AI in the Middle East and Africa. She's the LinkedIn top voice and one of the top 40 marketeers under 40 in MENA. So welcome all of you and really a pleasure and a privilege to be with you today uh, on this podcast. Melanie, let me start with you. You are today leading one of the top 10 executive education providers in the world. That puts you in charge of shaping the future leaders of this world. Can you tell us how you got there and what were the hills you had to climb and what were the successes you celebrated? It must have been a very interesting journey. I would say it is. And I would start by saying that I'm not one of those people who had a specific career goal in mind and created a path to get there. And yet, when I look back at the path I took, you might think that I did. Um, but let me share with you a little bit about how I did um, get to this point, which is a point of having a really wonderful role in a top, uh, business, top leading business school in the world, a role that I love dearly and some key takeaways from that journey. So my current role is as a, a leader of executive education and it requires in addition to leadership capabilities, a deep knowledge about both business and education. So my journey included an undergraduate from the University of Michigan, an undergraduate degree in education and then a master's degree in business administration. From there, I went on, um, I leveraged that MBA into a really nice position with what was then a Fortune 500 company in Richmond, Virginia, and I worked in 
management and organization development for several years. And I learned then a lot about the corporate world and, and how it works. I had no experience prior to that. I grew up in a small town, no big, big companies there. I then was able through some connections to move into a role in consulting. And I did some really interesting consulting work with a boutique consulting firm. So in that role, then I learned about a lot of other companies and how they work and what they need. I started my own consulting firm for a short time. And then um, I ended up getting an opportunity to move into the academic world, first at Michigan State University and now at my alma mater, the University of Michigan. So my job at the company in Richmond, Virginia happened in part because I was out jogging in my neighborhood, saw somebody with the University of Michigan flag hanging in their yard. He was mowing his lawn and I kind of stopped and chatted with him and one thing led to another and, and I, I got this great role that I loved. Um, another opportunity came to me, the one I, I actually have now at the University of Michigan because a former boss knew someone at Michigan and said, you know, that's your alma mater. They have a great executive education operation. I think you should, you know, get connected there. He connected me to someone. And again, one thing led to another. So one takeaway, and I think I used to think this way is, oh, I've just been really lucky, right? But my takeaway is actually upon reflection, not so much luck um, in and of itself, but the idea that you make your own luck right? I made my own luck in large part, and some extra luck came in the picture as well, but I made my own luck with getting a solid education from a school that has a great global reputation, um, from stretching myself to learn and grow and try new things, even when I didn't think I, you know, I might be capable enough to do them, by developing a network that I contributed to and you know, created value in the network of people that I knew, and then I also got benefit from that network. And finally, there's a lot to do, I think, with your own personality and style. I happen to be an outgoing person. I stop and have conversations with people. I love interacting with people from multiple parts of the world. And so it's the combination of those four things for me. Now, everyone has to do it in their own way. But my key lesson that I would share, I guess, is that to think about what kinds of opportunities you want to have in your future and what you can do to prepare yourself and create your own luck, so to speak. So let me ask you, I mean, you mentioned two very important things. So one is make your own luck. And the other one is your networking capabilities and being out there and building those connections. In the time of the pandemic, all of these things become more difficult to, uh, to do and to implement. And when you look at the statistics from uh, this year, from 2020, uh, it shows minorities and women have been hit the hardest and they were at a disadvantage when there was a recovery uh, in certain, at certain periods during the time of the year. So what do you think uh, is needed now uh, to shape an equal recovery? So I think there are several things that are needed, and this might not paint the complete picture, but I would first say that we can change the story with this pandemic if we go about it in the right way, if we understand what needs to be done. To that end of understanding, I hope that there will be some studies from this pandemic. We know that from previous pandemics, 
there really wasn't much in, uh, in terms of the research. So, you know, if you want to ask yourself the question, what lessons have we learned from past pandemics about their effects on women? The answer is, and Cindy and I were discussing this the other day, not much. Despite 29 million published papers in over 15,000 peer-reviewed journals on the Zika and Ebola epidemics, for example, fewer than 1% of those touch on the, these epidemics' effects on gender disparities. So co this COVID-19 pandemic really does give us a unique opportunity to view a pandemic through a gendered lens. And I hope that some key researchers will pick up that um, idea and, and go with it. What we do know from past research is that pandemics in general almost always have a more devastating effect on women than on men. Men's salaries return to pre-pandemic levels more quickly than women's. And while women are quicker to turn to unpaid work and part-time work. There's an article in the Atlantic, if you want to um, read more about that, called The Coronavirus is a Disaster for Feminism by Helen Lewis. And it's in the Atlantic, uh, March 19th, 2020. So that says a little bit about what I hope will happen to help us get to the answer to your question. In the meantime, going on what we know from our own experience and our own knowledge is that you know, employers should provide more flexible work arrangements. And they should be, and I think they will be, much more willing to do that now that we've seen how well working from remote can work when it's done in the right way. We're learning about when it does work and when it doesn't work. So employee, employers should be able to provide more flexible work arrangements, for example. I also think we will enter a period where we're much more tolerant of family life, um, you know, kind of impeding on work life from time to time. The child showing up and tugging on the, the mother or the father's sleeve, the dog starting to bark, whatever. So that's a, that's a helpful, just cultural aspect. And something that I think is critical that we don't often think about is the role of men in this whole um, move toward equity for women in the workplace. So sorry to all you men out there, but you need to take more responsibility at home. <laughs> you need to take some of that workload off of, off of the women in your life. And um, in the workplace, we need um, genuine, authentic, committed men who are in leadership roles to support the efforts of um, uh, gaining equity for women. So I think that uh, one, just the, uh, an important point I would make is that the men play a big role in this as well as the women. From the women's standpoint, we need to be really proactive about this and take time to think about how we can make a difference in um, what we do and how we communicate and um, our skills in leadership, communication, uh, influence, and so on. Actually, you touch on a very important point because it's a flip coin. It's two sides that are required to make it work. And we're going to touch on it uh, at a later stage in this podcast, which is think equally doesn't apply to just men and it doesn't apply to just women. To make it work, it's really about both doing it. And just for the record, I've been, I've been owning up a lot of household responsibilities since way before COVID. <laughs> Good for you, Jay. Here's a high five. You know... Yeah, one other really important one other really important thing, and I know this gets talked about and, and the people on this podcast are probably all about it, so it, it almost felt like I didn't need to mention it, but is women helping other women, right? They're, um, we really need to step up and do that. 
look at the ones who are coming up around you in your organization, give them advice, help them, ask them what they need, sponsor them, mentor them. Women helping women is a real key aspect of, of the goal of equity for women in the workplace. Actually, this would be a good uh, segue to uh, Rita because uh, Rita, you've had a, uh, looking at your profile, you've had an amazing career and not just having the career success, but it's also access to that platform, a very prominent company, a uh, very big platform. And in your role in communications and PR also adds to the combination of being able to, to send out messages. So can you share with us first a little bit of your story, how you got there? And uh, also tell us about the times where you found these opportunities to send that message and really support and work with other women to make things uh, 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 more efficient and better in the workplace. Um, first of all, uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really honored to have um, peers uh, on this panel that have that kind of caliber and to uh, be here, Jay, and ask us all these very uh, flattering questions, actually. Um, I, I I started very early um, getting interested into automotive and cars. I was, I think, 18 just after um, just after high school or university. I can't remember. It's been a long time. Um, and I fought my way in, actually, because um, either you were like a showroom salesperson and I wanted to be in an office and I wanted to take decisions extremely early. And it was um, not to say a tough journey, but it was not an easy journey to be uh, accepted as a, as a female who wanted to, um, to have like responsibilities in the automotive world. So it was an extremely interesting um, piece, of, piece of career because it's not over yet. So I don't know if uh, I'd call them successes, but they're like uh, steps towards uh, an enhanced space for females to lead in uh, such male-dominated uh, spaces. And uh, I hear a lot, sadly, still, because I've tapped into other industries as well, which, is, uh, which can be uh, FMCG or fashion. But I, I tend to hear this a lot in automotive, um, and it really makes me sad. The, the, um, it's easier to work with men's stigma. And um, this needs to be tackled at an individual level rather than corporate. I do a lot of internal PR, uh, internal talks and building relationships with women peers to be able to understand where this comes from and to be able to tackle it. It's extremely important to uh, tackle it internally first. So there's a lot of internal communications that I take care of. For example, I have uh, monthly talks with my HR uh, peers to be able to see where are we in, the, in their inclusion and diversity plans? Where are we in the woman hires and um, performance, uh, performance uh, mapping within the company? So apart from the internal communications part, which takes um, a lot of internal PR, um, there's also the external communications that needs to be done. So uh, for instance, talking on a purely operational level, I tend to do more campaigns with women to again, be able to position women, not only as um, mothers or as wives or as um, just mere individuals, but rather active uh, community enhancers, active 
community decision makers, for instance, especially in the automotive industry. So I have two pillars to work on the internet, the internal communications that tackles, as you said, uh, rightly so Melanie earlier, there's like a PR to be done towards women peers and there's like coaching. I've been lucky to be coached and mentored by very, very uh, brilliant uh, women in the past. And I hope to continue doing that with every single woman that is uh, around me, whether it's at work or outside, to be able to um, to be able to uh, contribute humbly to um, the um, the topic that we're trying to cover today. So Rita, then uh, I want to touch at the end to, uh, to know who would be the top woman influence uh, on, on your personality and your career overall. But let's leave that uh, to the end of the program. Uh, that would be quite interesting. Uh, I mean, I think here what we've done, we've brought, I would say, two of the most male-dominated industries. So the automotive industry is one, and high-tech is by no means any better than uh, automotive. From the Silicon Valley, you know what it is, all the way to the uh, Dubai Internet City, it's, I come from technology and I've worked in technology companies quite a bit and we do have diversity uh, initiatives, but progress has been slow. And I, I do salute the women who have built their careers within the companies, uh, within those companies, because it takes a lot of effort. And one thing, Gita, when you say successes versus steps, I would say every step you take that makes a progress, that's a success. So, it, Progress is slow, but it's happening. And this is what really worries me in, the, uh, in, in this pandemic, that it's taking us steps back when we should be moving forward. So uh, Heba, from your experience, which is, I want to contrast it to that from uh, Rita, uh, you did the same in terms of being able to carve yourself a leadership role at a company that's, I would say, entrenched in uh, technology, which is IBM. And uh, you, you play in a way as maybe not to put too much pressure on you, but you play as a role model for women, especially in the Middle East, who want to go into tech. And this is a big challenge and also a big satisfying uh, experience if you manage to break that ceiling. So how did you manage to break that ceiling? And basically, what, what, what are the challenges that you still face? Because I'm sure the, the, the trip is not over yet. But, uh, first of all, thank you so much, Jay, for, for having me. And again, um, you know, what a pleasure to just have this chat with, uh, with you know, similar um, uh, amazing group of, uh, of ladies. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree. Definitely. You know, technology is, is, is one of the male, very famous uh, male dominated industries. And, um, you know, there's something you can tell, right? You can tell when you walk into a room and you're the only woman. You, you can tell when you go to the event and you're the only woman. And it, it, you can just really feel it and see it, right? But I would say I, I, I didn't always see it that way. And, and sometimes I don't want to say not being aware of the issue, but it was very late in my career that I noticed that and I don't know again you know sometimes you ask yourself these questions and you don't know if, if they're right or wrong but sometimes I wonder if sometimes our perception could have impacted my growth right because sometimes you feel that there are not too many women there are not too many women leaders you know 
what are my chances of, you know, being that woman, right, that makes it. So I didn't always see it that way. And, and, and maybe this is something that all women, we, I think we, should, we need to be aware, we need to be conscious of the issue, but also part of me did not really see that in the beginning. And some people even used to point it out to me. And I was like, I, I, I don't know that there are not too many women who are doing this, there are not too many women, you know, who are doing speaking and, you know, these technology forums and so on. And I don't know if that in a way has helped me. So I think maybe that's one of the things, right, for me personally is I think be aware of, of the issue, be aware of the challenge, but don't take it to heart. Don't make it one thing that, you know, I always think about and I feel that it could stop me, right, from, from being what I can be because there aren't that many women that are like that, right? So I think that's one thing that has definitely personally helped me, maybe not knowing it uh, or not consciously, but I think, I think it definitely has. I think everyone speaks about mentorship and sponsorship and um, coaching. Could not stress that enough. You know, I've been also very, very lucky to have amazing coaches, both men and women, and sponsors, both men and women. And again, from IBM, being a global company, you know, again, from all parts of the world, from different nationalities, different backgrounds. And sometimes also, you know, they've helped me see things about myself that I don't see, whether good or bad, you know, so, so sometimes the best job they've done is, is telling me things that I did not want to hear, but needed to hear, right? So definitely mentorship and, and sponsorship and coaching in formal and informal, and, and the best of them were informal ones. So uh, I think, Melanie, I, I liked what you said, you know, because a lot of the corporate nowadays are trying to push for these like women coaching or women mentoring. And sometimes it's these like informal things and the small moments and, you know, these really pure advice that comes from people you feel really care about your career will were, were definitely make the best um, impact and the biggest difference. So that would definitely be one thing. And I think not putting too much pressure on women as well, but I think also, you know, at certain points in, in my career, I would always think, and even now, right, I think, you know, I don't want to be too comfortable. So I had a career in marketing in IBM, 12 years, very, you know, I've done well in marketing. I've been recognized externally by the industry and so on. But at some point I thought, you know, I know this too well, right? I, I just, I feel like I know I'm doing too well and I need a change and I need to do something that makes me feel sick in my stomach. And that's why I took a strategy role that, that when it came up. And um, I think it's been, it's been an amazing experience. And I think more women need to do that. Uh, men and women, if you ask me, but maybe more women, right? Because we tend to really love our successes and like being successful and like knowing what we're doing. While sometimes success is, is, you know, doing things that you don't know how to do and, you know, getting better at them with time. So I would say that's definitely one thing that has really helped me, right? And one of these things is, you know, doing, being outside, being out there, doing external engagement, you know, speaking in conferences and mentoring and doing all these activities. That was also something that at some point made me, you know, really scared and extremely uncomfortable. And, you know, I tried to push myself and there were people who supported me, right? So it wasn't just all me, right? There were people who told me, you can do this. Um, so I don't think I would also do it on my own. So again, you know, the role of mentorship, sponsorship, village, right? Uh, of men and women who supported me throughout my career, who told me, you can do this, right? And, and made me comfortable to, to make that so definitely all these things and networking, I think that was discussed a few times. Networking is definitely really important. And sometimes it's extremely unplanned. And I think when people think networking, they really think about it in a very planned sort of way. And I'm going to network in this, you know, group of influential sponsors. Or I'm going to, you know, network with people that I want to hire, that I want them to hire me, people that will have jobs that I'll be interested in. And, 
and and I never did that in a planned way. I just uh, made sure you know if that's an indus- industry I'm interested in. If that's an industry that you know I love and I'm passionate about, I should be you know doing these things. I should be talking just to get the knowledge, right? I attend events and I meet people because I want to hear what they have to say and I want to you know broaden my uh, scope and understanding more. And networking just happened as a byproduct, and and it has brought me amazing amazing opportunities. So I don't know, Jay. Um, if you remember, uh, so how I won, you know, the scholarship from uh, Michigan Ross, which is I'm extremely grateful for, is that I was at lunch with you, and yes. uh, you told me that, networking. yeah, networking. So I was at a lunch, and I was at the lunch because the topic being discussed it was AI, which was extremely interesting to me, of course. And you know, I think you sat across of me, and we met, and you said, you know, we have the scholarship, and you should apply for it. So. So I did, right? And uh, and I got it. So uh, first of all, thank you for that. And uh, second, uh, yeah, definitely network, but uh, I would say uh, not networking for the sake of networking, which I think um, feels like a burden, right? Because I mean, if, if you feel like you have to go and you have to meet people and you have to uh, build relationships, it just feels very difficult to do and it feels like an extra effort. But if you view it as uh, a learning experience, it's definitely something that will add a lot to career, yeah. No, but I think uh, to your first point, uh, honestly, it's an angle I haven't uh, really, uh, I haven't really seen, uh, or or uh, uh, kind of looked at before, which is uh, your own confidence on the issue and whether you make yourself aware of it and whether it reflects on the people around you. It's something to to really pay attention to. Uh, I haven't really thought of it before, because what you've seen is that sometimes those who are aware of the issue they tend to overshoot in trying to demonstrate over capabilities or it lacks the confidence and they can undermine what they are capable but if you are yourself of course that's only one element and i'm sure it's still complicated but it's a very important element that if you are yourself then your capabilities will show on their own i mean that that's a very interesting perspective honestly so uh, with that cindy i mean I, I take it over to you because you're a professor at the michigan ross school of business and that's also an amazing platform on which you built all these messages. And on top of it, uh, your background, having won multiple awards and uh, business uh, uh, national awards for excellence and for research awards. How do you use that platform, uh, the University of Michigan platform, uh, to promote diversity? Well, first of all, I would like to echo the thanks to you, Jay, for having me here. And what an amazing group of women to be able to participate in this event with, so thank you, thank you all. Um, I use the Ross platform for teaching, uh, for research, and for getting out press releases uh, to advocate for business to make gender diversity a priority. Many research studies uh, talk about the business case for diversity. That is, for example, McKinsey tells us that um, uh, gender diverse companies are 15% more likely to outperform their, their rivals. Businesses with a greater proportion of women on their boards are outperforming their rivals on invested capital, on returns on equity, and on sales. But of course, correlation is not causation, um, but the correlations are interesting. Grant Thornton quantified a higher return on assets at uh, nearly 2%. Credit Suisse found gender-balanced boards uh, outperforming single-sex boards either way. A study of European firms found that gender diversity was associated with greater compliance with ethical and social standards. 
some studies are, are surmising that maybe it's because women are bringing um, different expertise and skills to the table. And it's that heterogeneity of ex experience and expertise that is really improving the decision-making, having more voices at the table. But I also think, of course, that it's not just the business case that we need to be thinking about here. And there's the question of, of ethical standards and behavior and equality that, um, that I think are first principles that we need to be thinking about. In the United States, blatant discrimination has been illegal for a long time. And that's not the typical issue these days, but it's the unconscious stuff, the unconscious bias. We all have it. You know, it's, it's our tendency to be biased in favor of people who are like ourselves. Um, so in addition to research, I think that the classroom is really an important platform to train the next generation of uh, business leaders to, to recognize that bias and, and promote change. I would say this is a great platform to drive, to, to bridge between then the university uh, work that's being done there and the research and seeing the outcome at the corporate level where you see the diversity of the boards and the management uh, really making an impact. Now, unfortunately, like in the UAE, uh, the private sector has really lagged the public sector when it comes to that. So the uh, public sector, you have women leadership in the UAE space agency, half the cabinet are uh, women leaders uh, in their field. But then when you look at the private sector, like you said, it's, there are male dominated industries and there are women dominated industries. So really there, is, there isn't this diversity kind of trickling through. So really I hope that what you do there is gonna make even a small progress in, in, in that direction. To me, that would be a really good step in the right direction. And I think there are lots of innovative steps that business can do that you don't have to wait on government to go down those paths. Um, they can start with lots of issues like, like pay disparity, uh, for instance. So that doesn't take uh, anybody from the top to tell you to pay, pay people fairly. Um, pay transparency. Uh, the, I think the, the younger generation now with the, all the social media, one of my daughters has been involved in just getting her first job out of college. And the social media and the discussion and finding out all the information is incredible. And that's not always been the case where you could, you could find that kind of stuff. Um, paying people what they're worth, not just uh, uh, to the organization, not just basing it on what their prior position paid, right? Because that can be perpetuating the past discrimination uh, if that prior pay was too low, then the next pay is going to be too low if it's just a multiple of that. Um, when uh, conducting a gender pay audit. We've seen some companies in the United States go through and, and do a check to see if things uh, looked like they were equal or not. Fair hiring policies, uh, providing women the opportunity to advance. Uh, and I agree completely with the, the notion of needing net, networking, of uh, looking for sponsors, looking for uh, mentors, giving them access to people. The people at the top need to be accessible so that those um, informal relationships also have a shot at, at growing you know, and leading by example. Family-friendly policies are only going to be effective if the people at the top 
or taking advantage of them, right? Because if I'm if I'm a woman and I see no no one else is taking the maternity leave or taking a um, a childcare leave or leaving at three o'clock to take the kids to their soccer practice, I'm not going to be the first one, right? So it, it needs to happen happen at the top, and the leadership has to be concerned about these things. One thing that I've been working on lately in terms of um, mentoring is I think that it's important for senior women to mentor junior men. I think it's important that they start learning about the issues uh, relating to women's issues, but but also that then they're, they're trained to, to not think of biases, right? That people are, are working together at early, early stages. And I think in business, um, and as, as has already been said, I think Melanie mentioned it, men can be allies. They can be amplifying the women's voices. There's a lot of studies out there that uh, an idea that's suggested by a woman sometimes doesn't get heard and that a male might pick up on it. Well, the men can make sure that those ideas suggested by women are attributed to women. So, so I do think that business can really step up the game here and, uh, and help things out. 100% I agree with you because this is what I emphasized at the beginning, equal and full participation. Because when, whenever people feel like they're filling quotas, then it's not enough. You have to have equal treatment. Treatment means everything. It means compensation, performance reviews, uh, all of these things that will build up a career for a person. So uh, uh, fully on the same page on that one. So that's a wrap. We will continue with more about women in leadership in the next session. Stay tuned.